You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Well, anyway, let's start off. uh, Let's pray real fast. Lord, uh, just as I go through this message, um, let it be your words that we are hearing today. Um, just give us, give us this day the message that you would want us to hear. Praise in your name. Amen. Cool. And then I have a note that I need to start my timer. Starting my timer now. Sync watches. All right. So we're in a two-week sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I gave that away in directed prayer, so sorry. Spoiler alert. That's where we're at. Um, to recap what we did last week, Rob started off, and we looked at the beginning of the prayer. <clears throat> um, he said a little bit of context. The Lord's Prayer falls during the Sermon on the Mount. This is how it's recorded in two different spots. It's recorded in Matthew and also partially in Luke, but we're looking at the Matthew one. Uh, this falls during the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of dead center in the Sermon on the Mount, um, kind of right there in the middle of that. And there's some reasons for that. We probably won't talk about that today. We might have talked about that on footnotes last week, or we're talking about it this week. I don't remember which. Check out a footnotes on that if you're interested in some of that extra uh, stuff. But uh, we started off with the beginning of the, the prayer. Looks like this. Jesus says, pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we start right from the top. We had our Father in heaven, and he, he pointed out that heaven is actually heavens, is a, maybe a better translation. And we should remember in that first phrase that our Father in heaven, it's not, God is not some absent landlord. God's not far away from us. God is right there with us. Um, that We talked about that in footnotes a lot, if you're interested in that. But heaven, for the Jewish perspective, was it was not a removed concept. It was everything right above you. Like, I'm reaching up and swatting heaven right now. Like, that's what it is for them. So God, who's right there with us. And he's calling himself Father. He, he starts that in Exodus. He, he gives his name as Abba. That it's not, he's not just a God, he's our father. This, this father-child relationship is, is instigated there. Um, hallowed be your name. We're talking about holding his name and keeping it holy, hallowing it, reverence, all of this. This is just the first two lines of this. That we carry his name and we need to keep that holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Um, on earth as it is in heaven. This is where we left off last week with Rob. This is kind of the center. He talked a little bit of uh, the chiasm here. You've kind of got heaven and heaven. You've got your will be done. Hallowed be your name. These two kind of tie together. And in the center, you've got your kingdom come, God's kingdom coming. This is, and this is what they're praying for with Messiah, right? The Jews are, they want the Messiah to come and bring about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And, and we're praying in this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is on earth here right now, not later, not some glad morning, right now, right here. God's kingdom. Um, we should be praying that. We should be praying that every day is what we're hearing here. 
When you pray like when you pray, pray like this. Maybe not these specific words, but this gives us a really good shape of what our prayers should look like. And so we move into the second half of this prayer today. And I think keep in mind this your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's keep that percolating in our mind through this. Because the way this happens is that I submit my kingdom, my personal kingdom, to God's kingdom. I take my desire, my wants, my needs, and I submit that to God's kingdom and say, God, use this. I submit it to his design. And we're going to see that in the rest of the prayer that follows. So coming after this, so we've addressed God here, and then we move into the next line, which is, give us this day our daily bread. The next three things are all things that we are asking of God. Okay? We, we come with these, these requests, bread, forgiveness, uh, and leading us not into temptation. We come with three requests to God. So we've, we've started with acknowledging who God is and what God wants and what we got, want God to do, and then we move into what we would like God to do in our lives, personally. <clears throat> So let's talk about give us this day our daily bread for a second. When, when you hear this, even though I'm not, uh, I'm not a first century Israelite, I still think of probably the first thing that they're going to think of when I hear a, when I think of daily bread. There's one story that pops into my mind right off the bat. It probably, should, it probably pops into your head too, or at least it will as soon as I mention it. Now, when we think of Exodus and Moses and the Israelites going through the desert and God provides manna on the daily. So let's go, let's go and remind ourselves of what this story looks like in Exodus. So Exodus chapter 16 the uh, angsty teenager Israelites. I always think of the Israelites in the desert as angsty teenagers. Like there's grumbling, there's complaining. Moses is like riding a herd on them. This is how I imagine them. It, it's moderately correct at least. Uh, but the Lord said to Moses, so they're grumbling, they're hungry. They're like, why don't we just go back to Egypt? Like, man, we had food back there. So Moses goes to God and says, dude, what do I do? Lord says to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, which is, I mean, we often think of God raining fire from heaven, right? But no, he rains bread from heaven. That's kind of fun. Uh, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare that they bring in, it will be when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So a couple things to cue in on. One, bread coming down from heaven daily, except for on Sabbath. Even God takes a break. Logan, maybe I should hear that. Um, and then the people go, that I may test them. God's going to test them. That'll come back later, but maybe log that one away. Let's go on. So we skip ahead a couple verses. Moses goes and tells uh, everybody about this. And then we go to verse 14 through 20 here. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like flake -like 
thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Let's go on. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall, take, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Let's go on. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. You can't store this up. But they didn't listen to Moses because they're angsty teenagers. Uh, Some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and stank. Moses was angry with them. I love that. And Moses was angry with them. Darn Israelites. Moses being like, ah. But uh, later on, me and Jacob were talking later on, he says something along the lines of, well, I didn't give birth to them when he's talking to God. Like, it's, well, they're not my problem. But I just, I, I love the interaction with Mo- God and then Moses and then, and then the children of Israel. Um, it's just, it always finds, I find it funny. Um, I find it interesting. And, and oftentimes it's probably because I see that playing out in my own life. That's a complete tangent. We don't have time for that. Um, So, something that we want to get right from the top of this. When the Israelites hear this story, this is a story about trusting God. So, when when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, this is a story about trusting God. And we remember that in this story with the Exodus, this was the first time God presented his name as, he presented himself as a father to them. So this is also going to call this back for them. So the Exodus, they're thinking of God as the Father. This is Exodus 4. They're thinking of God providing for them like a good father. And this was a vulnerable time for the people. They're out in the desert. The desert is not an easy place to live. This is a vulnerable time for the people. They have to completely rely on God to provide for them. If God does not show up with the quail in the evening and the bread in the morning... If God does not show up, they starve. They don't have enough. God has to provide for them. And they have to trust God through this. And God comes through as trustworthy. The next thing that we should pull out of this is knowing what enough is. Because sometimes when we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread, there are people, there are people even even in Missoula, even in this room probably, that finances are tight. Things are tight. Maybe you don't have enough. Maybe it's a struggle to make ends meet. But then there are also people in our nation where we have plenty. We are blessed. And we see this play out in that story a little bit. And there's some commentary on that that we could possibly learn something from. Part of this is knowing what enough is. They were told, you, everybody gather one omer. And we saw it in there. Some of them gathered, gathered much and some gathered little. And it didn't really matter if you gathered a ton or if you gathered a little bit. 
you had enough. That's all you had. You just had enough. And if you tried to store it, if you tried to hoard it up, well, it rotted. It's daily bread. It's not give me enough bread for a month all at once. The purpose of this is God wants us to trust him day in and day out, not just when things get, oh, the sugar jar is a little low. God, give us this day our daily bread, but really I mean for a month so that I don't have to come pray again. Like that, that's not what it is. It's daily. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking for all of your desires. That's not what this is saying. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I want, I, I want this. I want that, like, God, I desire this. Because as we move through those desires, as we pray those out in in this prayer, as we pray this to God, we say, God, I, I want this. Eventually, I know for myself, when I'm praying that, eventually it becomes something along the lines of, after a couple of times of not getting it, like, all right, God, I'm pretty sure I want the Powerball. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's your design, but... You know, and eventually it works itself around to, okay, maybe I don't want the Powerball. Like, I, I wouldn't be good at handling that. Like, okay, fine. Because as you're praying your desires, God's going to slowly shape those. He's going to shape those desires. And so it's, there's nothing wrong with asking for that. There's nothing wrong with asking for that. But he's going to use it as a time to teach you what is enough. Exodus for them for the Israelites, is a reminder of liberation, revolution, rescue from slavery for the Israelites. This is going to conjure up, we've talked about this before, it's like the 4th of July for them. Like this is Passover, big 4th of July. Passover kicks off the Exodus story. Like this whole story of Exodus is them coming out of Egypt and coming into God's land for them coming into God's design. This is a story that they are passionate about. This is God's mission for them. So when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, it's a callback to the mission mission of kingdom on earth. This should remind us again, like, God, give us the bread that we need to carry out your mission. Because ultimately, that's where we get to when we're praying that. We're saying, God, give me what I need to carry out your will in my life. The last thing here is that we, we need to let God define what our part is. When we're praying for what our daily bread is, God's going to define what our part is. Because how often... Do we approach prayer as a shopping list? Maybe it's not praying for the Powerball, but how often do we, all right, well, we got prayer requests. This always bugs me in care group when I do this. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with prayer a lot recently in my life. I'm kind of deconstructing it and figuring out how I should be praying and what I should be praying about. And so when we do a laundry list of like, okay, and this person has this, and this person has this, and a hedge of protection here, and some healing here, and safe travels here, right? It's, and we treat it like a shopping list. Like, all right, God, and here's these requests, bing, 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 right? There's this N.T. Wright quote that I want to share with you. The danger with prayer for bread is that we get there too soon. Initially, you, you read this quote and you're like, uh, hmm, hmm. 
Bob came in earlier, and that was his exactly. Hmm. He kind of pondered it. The prayer for bread falls after defining who God is and his mission. It's not at the beginning. It's saying, God, who is in heaven, God with us, we hallow your name. And then we're talking about his kingdom and his mission and his design for our lives. And then we ask for what he needs to give us. When we put our desires in line with God's mission, which is the first part of, pra- first part of the Lord's prayer, this changes what we end up asking for. This changes what we end up asking for. All right. So that's, that's we've made it through one verse. All right. Whew. Killing it. Let's go on to forgive us our debts. Let's talk about forgiveness because that's a fun one. Yikes. Six, Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is weird that forgiveness even shows up in this prayer. We're going to talk about this definitely more in footnotes this week. Jacob's got some really tasty material that he got from one of the guys that he studied under. We're going to talk about this a lot more there. But forgiveness is weird that it shows up here because let's think about it. The Israelites are under oppression from Rome. They're under the heel of Rome. You know, they're getting ganked every other day. They don't like life under Rome. This is not good. And they're expecting a Messiah to save them, to come in and be the the next Moses, to be the next judge, Samson wrecking wrecking the Roman Empire, come in and be to lead them free, right? We're going to have another Passover. There's going maybe maybe some of them are praying for some like frogs and hail and fire and all of that good stuff, right? Because they don't like Rome. And this is weird that forgiveness is part of this prayer. This probably hits them and they say, wait, wait, mm, mm, I don't know about that. Okay. Keep in mind, this is occurring during the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has already dropped that whole, like, love your, love your enemy. That thing, he already dropped that truth bomb on them. They're already wrestling with that. And then he throws forgiveness into the mix. This is weird. This is weird that this shows up in here. Forgiveness runs through the entire Bible, though. The entire gospel story, from Adam all the way through Christ, all the way through Revelation. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of grace and mercy. Like This is a theme that runs through the whole thing, so I'm not surprised that Christ puts this in there, that we talk about forgiveness. And even even more so, when we go to Matthew uh, 6, 14, and 15, right after the Lord's Prayer, the very next thing that Jesus says, oh, let's get the background there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Take note here, this is kind of interesting. We haven't fleshed this out completely, but trespasses and debts are two different words in the Greek. A little interesting. Depending on the translation, they'll, they'll use trespasses through the whole thing, or they'll use two separate terms. But in the Greek, they're two different words. 
Rob and I were wrestling with this this week a little bit. We were researching it. We were looking at it and trying to figure out why, do they, why does he use two different words? From what we can tell, debts seem to be a little bit bigger. It's a bigger concept. And transgression or trespasses seems to be, it seems to imply smaller stuff even. Not just the big stuff. Debts obviously would, when you say forgive, forgive us our debts, the, the Israelites are going to remember the year of Jubilee that they didn't do a great job of following, in all honesty. But every seven years, they were supposed to forgive all debts and just wipe the board clean. That was part of the Levitical, that you'd have a year of Jubilee. Forgive debts, Right? But Jesus takes it a little further with these trespass, this trespass statement of it's just this little stuff. So what does this mean? What does this mean, though, for us? How, how can we understand this? If I'm not able to forgive those that have sinned against me, if I can't forgive person A over here that sinned against me, that wronged me in some way, then it probably is a clue that I don't understand what forgiveness from God actually is. Think of it, uh, I've heard it described as a pipeline. Forgiveness flows from God to me, and then it's supposed to flow out to everybody else. And I'm supposed to forgive everybody else. But if I'm not forgiving them, then it's not flowing through me anymore. It's just stopped up. I might have a little bit of a broken understanding of what forgiveness actually looks like. And so we need to understand what forgiveness is before we can learn to forgive others. Because if I don't understand what forgiveness actually is, the forgiveness that I'm getting from God, then I'm not going to be able to forgive others. And apparently that's a big deal. So let's, let's talk for a second, just for a brief moment here. Forgiveness is not condoning the action. Forgiveness is not condoning the action. It's not saying that was okay. It's not forgetting. It's not the same as just forgetting it. Water under the bridge. We like to use that phrase, water under the bridge, right? We just forget. The idea being we just forget that it's there. It's not the same as that. And it's also not the same as reconciliation, Forgiveness can move to reconciliation, but it is not the same thing. Forgiveness is giving up your right to get even. When I forgive somebody, I give up my right, my, my claim to get even. I've got so many examples in my life with my brothers like, there's so many times where he done me wrong, and oh boy, I'm going to get him back. Like, whew, we were really good at eye for an eye growing up. There was so much of that between me and my brothers. Like, whole next level stuff. So me forgiving my brother is giving up my right to get even. Me forgiving my brother is also setting that person free. Because it's saying, I don't hold this over you anymore. It doesn't mean that they're not going to have consequences for whatever they did. 
They might. We could have a whole discussion on distributive and retributive justice, but that's for a different day. But forgiveness is giving up my right to get even and setting that person free from that. I think that's a good place to start with forgiveness. If you want more information on that, I got some resources on stuff that I was reading and stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to claim to be an expert on forgiveness. But uh, we, can, we can have a conversation about that. We can move towards that. Understanding that we have to start there before we can move on. Then the next, the next part of this prayer, this, the final phrase of this prayer, the final phrase of this prayer is Matthew 6, I believe it's verse 13. We got that one? No? Oh, well, I done messed up on my slides. We know this, though. We got this. We got this. It's, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Wait a second. God doesn't tempt us, does he? He's not supposed to tempt us. Why would we be praying that he doesn't lead us into temptation? That's weird. That's strange. Let me think of a, hmm, what was a time where we see a story about temptation, maybe even in the book of Matthew, just a couple chapters earlier? Oh yeah, Christ in the wilderness for 40 days, which is a long time to not eat. Just every time I read that story, that's the first part that I'm like, I'd be so hungry. I would be craving so much Taco Bell at that point. Christ in the wilderness for 40 days. This should, this should call them back to this. Or it should call us back, at least. And from that story, 40 days in the wilderness. 40 in the wilderness should probably also remind us of Exodus again. Do you remember the bit about testing them? There we go. The period where the Israelites were in the desert for Exodus. This is the period of God testing them. Notice I'm using the word testing, not tempting them. There's smarter people than I that debate as to whether or not lead us not into temptation maybe should be lead us not into testing. I don't know. I think it's, if we, if we study it and we dig into it, then it's neither here nor there. Um. God will test us, though. He won't tempt us. Temptation was meant to pull you away from God's design for you. Think of, we'll use the Jesus in the wilderness story here. God, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus out into the wilderness to test him. Okay? To test him. Now, when, we, when God tests you, it's meant to solidify God's purpose in your life. The Israelites going through the desert, this is God solidifying them to him. It's saying, we're going to get to know each other real well, and we're going to get on mission together so that I can send you into the promised land and you can affect the rest of the world. He's testing them. It's not meant for them to fail. It's not meant for Christ to fail when he goes into the wilderness. But the devil comes and tempts Christ 
in the wilderness. Temptation is meant to pull you away from God's design. He says, yeah, no, 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 kingdom, and you got the power now, and like, and he gives them these three different things, which also parallel Exodus, but he gives them these, these temptations that he could, God, Christ could reach out and take an earthly kingdom right then and there, but that wouldn't be God's kingdom, right? Temptation and testing is different. We need, we need to understand that. And I think that maybe, maybe the difference and maybe the reason why we get these two mixed up is because that Satan loves to pile temptation on when we're tested. We think back to, uh, I know in James, when we did the James series in James 1, we talked about how God doesn't test or doesn't tempt us. It's, it's mentioned many times. But we do know that when we walk through this messy stuff of life, there's temptation there. Like, when we go through these times where God is giving us something that's going to grow us, that's when, that's when the opposition loves to pour on the extra junk. In all honesty, like, this has been a really rough year for a lot of us on staff, like all of us. This has been a rough year for me personally, though. Like, it has been, there's been a lot of growth. Like, God is doing some really cool stuff in my life, but it has not been easy. And there has been many, many, many times where it feels like it is just poured on. So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's saying, God, even if we're going through this testing bit, God, help us get through this. And, and help us avoid this if we can. Think of Christ praying in the garden. Like, he mimics the Lord's prayer in the garden when he's praying. He says, like, if, if you can take this from me, take this from me, right? God, if I, if I can go through, if I can just avoid this whole test bit, if I can avoid this messiness, take it from me. But if I can't, that's the second part, deliver us from evil. If I can't avoid this, if we got to walk through this, God, deliver us, bring us through this because it's only with your grace and your power that we're going to make it through this time. And that's where it ends. And this is why, my thought, this is why we tack that ending onto the Lord's Prayer. You might have noticed, you'd be like, wait, where's that, like, for yours is the power and the glory and the honor forever and ever and ever and a, you know, like that whole bit, like they added that in later. That was about 400 to 580, um, fourth or fifth century. The church added that on. We'll talk about that a little bit this week too in footnotes. But I think that that, like we, we end this with deliver us from evil for thine is the power and the glory forever and ever. Like this is God's power and his glory. This is the story of Christ coming down and breaking the bonds of sin and death breaking them apart. This is what we get with that. This is what we're praying. Like, how many times do we just, like, recite this out? Like, it becomes repetitive, and we just, we don't think about it. We just spit it out over and over and over, right? We, and it, it's got a nice little cadence to it. Like, I picked the trespass against us because I like how that trespass against us sounds. 
Like it just sounds really cool when you get a bunch of people saying it and it sounds like throughout the whole room. It's a lot of fun for me personally. But how often do we just roll through this? This is why we ask God to deliver us from evil. So we're going we're gonna to move into the kind of the closing here. And there's one more thing I want to point out is that through the entire second half of this, give us this day our daily bread, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, what was the daily bread, lead us not into temptation? Oh, uh, forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us. Like, there's all of this communal. It's not a single, like, forgive me as I've forget, like, no. Give me this day, our day my daily bread. No. This prayer is meant to be communal. Not saying we shouldn't pray it by ourselves. We should. And our prayers should have this structure. It's a great idea. You're not going to go wrong with that but it's also meant to be prayed communally. And everything in this prayer, we're supposed to take as a community and we're supposed to chase after this as a community. When we're praying, forgive us this day our daily bread, when we pray that in a community, there's this thing that happens. When I'm praying with my neighbors, whether that's my actual neighbors or my figurative neighbors, when I'm praying with my care group and I hear this person crying out and saying, this is what I need. I need this. And I hear this and I say, oh, wait, I have that. I don't need that. That right there, hearing hearing what other people's daily bread is, what they need to carry out their design, that right there, that's where we get into the mess of it and we walk out kingdom. And it doesn't happen if we don't do it in community. We have to do this in community. This, he's going to shank me with a drumstick, but I know a dentist who's really, really good at this because he'll hear about somebody with a sore tooth and he's like, oh, well, let's go to my office and we'll fix that. Like, he goes up and, and, and finds, you know, there's, there's, maybe there's a, I, hypothetically, there might be a, a camp with a lot of, like, kids that come from really rough backgrounds. And maybe, hypothetically, this dentist says, oh, I've got this skill. I've got this desire to use my gifts and my abilities, this thing that I've been given to serve others because they need it. He's going to shank me with a drumstick when he gets back. Anyway, like this is walking out daily bread. This is the power of praying this in community, right? And the same thing goes for forgiveness. Like if I'm pissed off at Shanoa, I'm not. Like I'm not at all. I'm using, you're in the front, you know, she ate all of my pickles, it's actually not true. They leaked all over my fridge. It was horrible. But she ate all of my pickles, and I'm mad that she ate all of my pickles. I'm not. Uh, if we're praying together, I have this sneaking suspicion that as we're going through the Lord's Prayer, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting the like, bejeebies out of me 
if I'm not going to handle my forgiveness with Shanoa there. Perfect example. Thank you, Shanoa, for being my guinea pig on the front row. You do eat all my pickles. Not all of them. Your sister ate some of them. And I ate at least five of them. So, you know, it's not, it's not completely you. But anyway, I digress. Like, every single part of this, if we're praying it in community, we're going to see it walked out. So the implication for the sermon here, the whole takeaway for everything from the Lord's Prayer, whatever Rob said last week, not important. That's a joke. Uh, this one's more important because this is the end of the prayer, right? Well, actually, it comes from the middle of the prayer. The implication is God's kingdom here and now. It looks like all of us as a community submitting our personal kingdoms, me submitting my design, me submitting my desire, my area of influence, saying this is the stuff that I can affect. It's me submitting that. It's Lori submitting that. It's Joe submitting that and saying every day we're going to submit that as a community to God's design because that brings about God's kingdom. And the application of that is that we trust God's provision. We trust that God's going to provide daily prayer. He's going to give us what we need to carry out our design. We live in forgiveness. We seek it out. We set those people free. And it's going to cost us something when we forgive somebody. When I forgive someone, it costs me. I have to give up that that right to hold them, to, to hold that thing above them and say, hi, you did me wrong. I, I own you in some way. I have to give that up. It costs us. And sometimes it, sometimes it costs a lot. Sometimes it feels expensive to forgive people. And we have to flee temptation. We have, to, we have to say, God, we're going to go through this trial period if we have to, I guess. I'm reminded of a red-green prayer. But if we got to go through this, we're going to go through it. But it's only through your power. And we're going to, the moment, the moment we're, get, we're hit with that temptation, we're going to turn tail and we're going to look, not run, we're going to look directly at, directly at our Father. Because that's what we see Jesus did in, that, in the wilderness. He throws scripture right back in the face of the devil. He turns to the word of God. He turns to God to flee temptation. And we can only do that in community if we want to bring about God's kingdom. So as a community, we're going to move into our time of communion. Community and communion have the same root word. It's like you're supposed to come together and take it. You can't really do communion on your own. You can. But I don't think it's the same. So here at Mission Ridge, we have an open table. Um, if you're a follower of Christ, believe he's your Lord and Savior, welcome to join us. Love to have you join us. We're going to come down. We're going to grab the elements, grab some juice, grab the matzah, go back to your seat, and then we'll take it all together here in a second. So go ahead and come on down. So on the night 
that Jesus was betrayed, they were having Passover, him and the disciples. And uh, when he had given thanks, he took the bread, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. In the same way, he took the cup after dinner, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your promises. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you would send your son, not just to die for us, but to teach us, to instruct us in how to relate to you, and how to carry out your design for our, for our lives. We are so blessed. Help us to focus on that. Help us to remember that every day. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.